0: You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut you down. Tell him that God's gonna cut you down. Tell them that God's gonna cut you down. Good morning, field summer, am I We plugged it in, we get, we're good, we're good, we're good. Good morning, so grateful to uh, have the opportunity to be here to uh, preach today uh, with Justin and Joe out. And uh, like Justin was saying, I'm Eric Lash. For those of you who don't know, I am part of our deacon board and uh, I serve here on our dream team and more of a teaching role, obviously, and for the most part. And uh, just my way of being able to serve this church and highly, highly, highly recommend it. If you haven't gotten involved in the dream team, just figure out a place where you can plug in and be a part of what we're doing here. It's pretty awesome uh, what what God's got going on for Fieldstone. So uh, just a little background for me. Um, I wasn't raised in church. Uh, this wasn't my scene growing up. Uh, I came to Christ when I was about 19. And uh, before that was kind of in the party scene, doing my own thing, living life my own way. Uh, thought I was doing all right. Um, and then God got a hold of me in a pretty, pretty awesome way. Uh, that's a story for another time. But uh, it, it really radically changed my life. And so because he did that, I kind of jumped into my faith. Uh, both feet first. I was all in. I was ready to go. And uh, in jumping into my faith like that, I started reading through scripture. And I started, I picked up a Bible and I started reading through it. And, you know, you get get into Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy and you got some awesome stories about some giants of the faith who, like how God started his people, Israel. And then you, you get through Deuteronomy and Moses, and then you get into Joshua and Caleb and all of these awesome warriors for the faith. And it's just so encouraging. And then you get to Judges. And I remember as a newer believer reading Judges for the first time, thinking, how stupid could Israel be? We have a people of God who have seen him work, seen him move, seen all of these things, and yet they keep on turning away from him. And we see the cycle in Judges that Justin started talking about last week that we see a people come to God, we, we experience his blessing, His, his uh, all of that provision, and then eventually they turn away, and eventually they, they go back to doing things their own way, and then they have to come back, and God raises up another judge, and God raises up another, no, another deliverer, a hero of the story, and that's that cycle in Judges that we see. And I remember just being so frustrated reading that, like how could they see God? How could they experience him? How could they have everything that he's given and then turn away? But then I started walking with Christ. And the longer I walked with him, the longer I had this relationship with God, the more I realized that that same tendency to walk away was in me. That it didn't take much to get me to turn aside. It didn't take much to distract me and get me to walk away from him. And we're not talking about generations here. We're talking about like Monday to Tuesday, it wasn't difficult to throw something at me that would get me off track. And so now, after living this life with Christ, it's been about 14 years for me now, after living this walk with him, I don't read judges in frustration. I read judges and I relate. I relate to this people group. I relate to God's people who come to him, who experience that blessing, and who eventually turn away from him and have to come back and have to ask for God to deliver them again. And so with that in mind, if we're honest with ourselves, we can all relate to that. If you've walked with God for any length of time, or maybe you never have, you recognize how easy it is to be washed from side to side, from thing to thing, to be turned aside, to lose your way, you can recognize that that tendency to wander is in you too. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we dive into today's story. Like Justin said, it's an odd one. Um, But we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it together. So uh, jumping in in Judges 3.12. So last week, uh, Justin talked about Othniel was our first judge. Today, we deal with our second hero of the story, Ehud. So uh, Judges 3.12 starts with this. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Pause there. A couple of things to point out. Number one, God gave Eglon the power that he had. The Israelites were choosing to do their own thing, choosing to walk away, choosing to turn aside from him. And eventually God gave them over to the Moabites, to King Eglon. And just like a loving father, once your children grow up and they, they start making those decisions for themselves, you can't control everything that they do. You can't always be there. You try to protect, you try to guide, you try to correct when you can. However, at some point they're gonna make their own decisions and they have to do their own thing and you have to let your hands off. And God does the same thing in our lives. When we choose, when we make our bed, he lets us lie in it sometimes, he lets us go. Romans talks about that, that if we're gonna make those decisions, if we're gonna be the ones who turn aside, he has to allow us to experience those consequences. And so God lets his hands off. So that's the first thing, God gave Eglon power. He gave them into their hands. Second thing, 18 years is a long time. That's a long time the Israelites to be under this oppression and to be where they are. So let's continue the story in verse 15. It says, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. Pause. Sometimes, guys, that's all it takes, is to turn back to God and cry out to him. And that's where the Israelites were. It's not that they had been crying out for 18 years. It took them 18 years to recognize their mistakes, their error, and to turn back to God. And when they do, God gives them a deliverer. All right, so this is where Ehud enters the story. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, the Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit, that's about 18 inches long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Uh, After Ehud had presented this tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But I'll... Sorry, But reaching the stone images, those are the idols that were out there, um, near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. This is where it gets weird. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. And yes, that means what you think it means, poop came out. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat enclosed in over it. Then Ehud went out of the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room and behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors to the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself in the upper room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when they did not open the, or when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen on the floor dead. While he waited, while they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Syrah. A couple of things to unpack here. First thing, Justin always talks to me after I give my, my sermons and my talks and things like that. And he says, man, like, good job, but let a bit of yourself out. Let a bit of your personality out. Loosen up a little bit, you know. Let campfire Eric out is what he always talks about. Because if you get me around a campfire, you get me alone, I can, I, I talk, I'm expressive, you know. I let myself out. So I think he wanted to help me out today and give me an icebreaker with a story that had poop in it. I think that's what he wanted me to do because I can't be too serious about what we're reading here because there's some there's some uh, interesting things that are going on in this story, and so like as we look through this, we have to recognize just the the situation that Ehud is put in. God sends him in to do a dirty job. It's messy. It's dirty, and Ehud goes in. He has this command from God. He has this leading from God, and he's going to do what God is calling him to do. But this guy, Eglon, is not, uh, I, you know, I just imagine this guy sitting in his upper room as, as Ehud walks in, like this is Jabba the Hut, just sitting there like, oh, 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 oh. And he walks in, and he has this story for him, and he, he sticks 18 inches, 18 inches goes into him, and it just disappears. It's just gone. And then, again, poop comes out. And so we have this story. It's, it's gross, it's nasty. And just to cap it all off, this guy is sitting in his upper room and his servants, so he does this, locks the door, keeps Eglon in there. He has time to go from the upper room in his palace all the way down through the courtyard and out to the city that he's escaping through before Eglon's servants go, man, that's a long time even for him. And then they finally opened the doors. Like, this guy was pretty nasty, inside and out. He was the person keeping Israel captive. He was the person who was lording this over them and keeping them down. This guy wasn't good. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to look into this and recognize that the same things that keep us captive, the sin in our lives, the the things that God has to give us over to because of the decisions that we've made, Those are nasty too. Those are messy. Our sin is disgusting. It's entrapping us. And so in the same way as we see God deal with it here, we're going to make some of those connections today. And so continuing on in this story, in verse 27, it says, when he arrived there, so after Ehud had escaped, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. "'Follow me,' he ordered, "'for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands.'" So they followed him down, took possession of the fords of the Jordan and le- that led to Moab. and they, did not, uh, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. No one escaped. That day, Moab uh, was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. 80 years of peace. Sounds a lot better than 18 years of captivity. <clears throat> However, after all of this, at some point, the Israelites have to wonder and have to look back and have to have that thought in their mind of, what if we would have cried out earlier? Did we waste 18 years doing our own thing, going our own way, doing life the way that we wanted to? What if? What if we would have cried out? What if God delivered us? There had to have been some regret over those last 18 years. And so as we dive into this and we, we start looking for some takeaways, there's four things that I'm gonna walk through that I think we can kind of uproot from this story and uh, root right into our lives so we can, we can glean something from this. First thing is, number one, embrace the mess. If you spend any time with myself, my wife Liz, and my kids around dinner time, you will find something out about me. I do not like messes. I don't like it. My daughter gets a hold of yogurt or spaghetti, and it's over for me. I hate it. She dives in there. She gets it through her hands, and inevitably, it goes right to the hair. It's like she's trying to style her hair with yogurt. It's sick. It's gross. It's in the It's sick. It's not okay to me. And Liz has to remind me consistently that she's a little girl. She's not even two yet, uh, that it's okay. It's okay to let her experience that. It's okay when they're playing in dirt and things like that. Like, I don't want, I have to, you guys, you know, you've seen everybody like post online and it's like, oh, look how cute they are, all covered in spaghetti and everything. I have to clean that up. I don't want that. I don't like that. So I am not a fan of messes. Like that's just not in me to be there to clean those things up. However, in this story, in our lives, we have to be willing to get a little bit dirty. Ehud was. Ehud went in and did what he had to do. And in the same way, sin is messy in our lives, and dealing with sin can feel even messier. Because when it comes to confession, if I confess something, it feels like I'm airing out my dirty laundry. If I have to confess to other people certain things, if I have to repent from things, turn away from the way that I've been living, I have to come face-to-face with the person that I've allowed myself to become, with the things that I've done and the consequences of my own actions— I have to come face to face with those, and that's messy. We have to be willing to embrace that mess to actually deal with the things that are keeping us from God, this cycle that we find ourselves in. The best example of dealing with that mess is found in Scripture, no no doubt. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for, our, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This was written over 400 years before Christ even came to this earth. And Jesus knew what he was getting himself into when it, dealt, when it came to dealing with our sin. He knew what he was walking into and Christ faced our sin head on. He looked at that mess, he dove in and he gave up everything on our behalf because he knew that that was a mess that needed to be dealt with. And so if you wanna talk about how messy that crucifixion was, just research it sometime. Research how messy it was, what Christ actually went through, how brutal it was. And not only the crucifixion itself, but everything leading up to that point, everything along that road leading up to the cross, how messy that was, what he had to go through but he took that on on our behalf and the fact of the matter is if Christ was willing to face our sin head on we need to be able to as well we need to be willing to open up that can of worms to get a little bit dirty and to recognize that we have to stop sweeping things under the rug and actually dealing with the mess second point that I want us to take away from this now is always better than later again this, scripture, this, this verse says, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, but they lost 18 years with God. They call out to him and God gives them that deliverer. God did not make them wait. God was not waiting there to bring judgment down on them. God was waiting there, waiting for them to call out for him, waiting with a deliverer, waiting to save them from what they were dealing with. But they lost 18 years. So, a personal question for you, something to mull over. Maybe as you deal with some of these things in your life that are keeping you from God, how much time have you lost? What have you given up? Because it's always easier to do nothing than it is to do something. But in the meantime, we make sacrifices that we don't quite realize until it's too late sometimes. So think through that. Turn back now. Scripture puts it this way. It says, so the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, they did in, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. And this is going all the way back to Moses' time when uh, God had delivered them from Egypt and brought them out of that captivity. And right after that, they're in the desert and they're already looking back and they're saying, man, but they had fruit in Egypt. You know, yeah, we were, we were enslaved and all that stuff, but at least we had some good food and they were already dealing with this cycle already looking back already turning away from god they were already dealing with that same rebellion in their life and the fact of the matter is again when we turn away from god god does not wait in judgment for us he's not he doesn't have a huge hammer with him he's not waiting to bring that down on us what he's waiting for is in peace and patience He has love for us, he has concern for us, and he's calling us. He's using his voice, he's calling us. And that's why the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, simply turn back. That's all it takes. In Romans 10, 13, it's put very simply. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, that's true for salvation. Immediately, when you don't know Christ and you call on him and you ask him into your life, yes, That is absolutely the gospel truth that Jesus will come in and he will save you. But the truth still remains for all of us who have been walking with Christ, all of us who are believers. The gospel doesn't stop being the answer for us. God is not asking you to clean yourself up. He's asking you to come back to him. Which leads to point number three. Let God lead. This has to be him. This is the point that Justin started this series out with was a recognition that throughout scripture, so even in, in Judges especially, it says that those who, these judges that God's raising up, these deliverers that God's raising up, God's spirit was on them. This, this special measure of his spirit. God is the one who's doing this. God led Ehud into Eglon's chamber. God is the one who is saving Israel, who is delivering Israel in the same way God is still saving us. This has to be God's leading Don't feel like you have to clean yourself up first and then come to God. This is God's doing. This is God's desire. This is the work that God is doing within you. Allow him to do that. If there's nothing else that you take away from today, nothing else that you take away from my talk here, just let it be these verses. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. This is one of my favorite sections in all of scripture. So take this, make this prayer your own. Find a way to turn this back to God and find a way to listen for his answer. It says, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I myself can get into a conquering mentality where I start to recognize a need for something. I start to recognize my need to turn back to God. And so I start coming up with a list of all the things that need to change in my life, all the things that need to be different, everything from sin issues all the way down to, I need to get more sleep at night. Like I start coming up with all of this list of things that need to change when we we set out and we act like we need to conquer it. And the truth of the matter is that when you have a 10-step program for how you're going to fix yourself, chances are you're going to stumble at step one and lose all momentum. But if we turn to God, if we allow him to be the one who's speaking into our life, it's not going to come from a place of guilt and shame and condemnation. If you feel those things as you pray through this, as you look to those things that are, are keeping you from him, if you feel that guilt, that shame, that condemnation, that weight, that burden, chances are it's not him. I can almost guarantee it's not him because God's conviction comes very gently, very pointedly. And in these moments, you might come to him thinking that you have all of these other things to deal with, but allow God a chance to speak and he can look at you and say, you know, I get that you feel like you have all of these other things that need to be fixed, but I don't like the way that you talked to your wife the other day, and we need to fix that first. Your conduct at work might be the thing that God needs to hammer away at. Whatever those pinpointed things are, allow God to be the one who's leading that. Don't feel like you have to figure all of the ins and outs about how to fix you. Leave that up to God. Trust him. Let him convict. And point number four, follow through. When we start recognizing that we've drifted from God, chances are this has happened from minor degrees along the way, minor turns, minor changes, things that have happened, and and this could be a long list. So be willing to follow through, be willing to recognize that this is a war that we're fighting. This is not one single battle. This wasn't Ehud going into Eglon and saying, hey, king's dead, I've done my part, and we're done. No, he goes back to Israel and he calls them in to make sure that he's ridding the Moabites from the land because they're the ones that had the idols, that had the other things that were drawing the people of God away from them and he had to deal with all of that. It's a war. Recognize that in your own life. Recognize that this isn't something that happens all of a sudden. So be willing to fight that battle. Scripture talks about it this way. It says in Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, there's that spirit again, God's spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And the grammar in there does not mean a one-time deal. This is continuous. If you continually put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's how we find life in Christ. We consistently give ourselves up. We consistently give ourselves over to him. We consistently come back to him and allow him to work those things out in our life. Christ has a life for you that is free and light. But I know that a lot of us came in here today feeling burdened, feeling weighed down, feeling discouraged from some of those things that we've given ourselves over to some of those decisions that we've made some of the mess that we've allowed into our lives but Christ has a free and light life for you he himself puts it this way in John 10:10 10, 10. he said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy i have come that they may have life and have it to the full and so i'm not sure where you're at today I'm not sure what you came in here with. I'm not sure what burdens you're feeling, or even if you're feeling like you can't come to Christ in the first place or come back to Him. But I want to encourage you today that He's there, He's calling, and He's waiting. And so I want us to be willing to face that mess because He did. I want you to do it now. I want us all to have that mentality that now is always better than later because it's not gonna get better, it's only gonna get worse over time, guys. We're only losing more over time. Let God lead you and submit to his direction. Again, take that prayer in Psalm 139 and make it your own. Let God lead and then continue to fight and follow through. Be willing to have that resolve, whatever it takes, whatever God calls you to, whatever that fight is for yourself, Be willing to do so because he's the one who's right there cleaning up the mess and fighting alongside you. And one side of caution to all of this, the same way that the Israelites undoubtedly looked back at those 18 years that they had walked through with regret. It's easy to look back over this time, this lost time that we've had and have that regret and have that shame and have that guilt and to carry that along with you. But we have to be willing to let that go to recognize that God has a future for us. So instead of looking back in regret, be willing to walk into, step into the future that God has for you, recognizing again that he's the one who's calling you, that God is the one who is your deliverer. Ultimately, as we walk through this book of Judges, we're gonna see that. All of these judges that God raises up and delivers the people of Israel, every single one of them is just a shadow of the ultimate deliverer that he was gonna give us in Christ. And we have him. We have him right in front of us. We have him inside of us. We have him calling us. He is our deliverer. Come back to that deliverer. Be willing to call out to him and I promise he will answer. So let's make that our resolve today and just come back to him. He's waiting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much again for just this opportunity to bring your word to your people. And I pray that uh, none of me uh, would sneak in here, God, that you would just take this and you would work this into our lives, that you would uh, just continue to do your work, continue to call us, drown out the other noises, the other things that might be uh, vying for our attention. And God, let us hear from you Let us submit to you and let us trust you. Let us lean into you and let us follow you. Let us come back to you in a way that is light and free, is refreshing, Lord. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And that's what I pray over each and every single one of us. And as you do that, God, let it be for a testimony for you. Let it be an opportunity for you to show your goodness, your glory, your love, your patience for all of us. Thank you for being a long-suffering God. Thank you that even though we go astray so easily, you always take us back. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to follow you and to serve you. And we ask all these things in your name, Jesus, for your glory, amen. You guys are dismissed. Thanks so much for joining us today. Take care.